0: Podcast. I'm Lauren Tossi, and I'm Ryan Tossi. My darling girl, when are you going to realize that being normal is not necessarily a virtue? It rather denotes a lack of courage.
1: What a a wonderful quote. (laughs) I did the thing you do. It's stole my thing. <laughs> it's the one thing I do here.
0: <laughs> I very, very, very demandingly at the end of the movie said, I'm doing the quote this week. I've got one. It's
1: very understandable. You know, when you feel deeply about a quote, a film, yes. you, you want to be the lead on that.
0: I have scribbled that in many a notebook. It was definitely my AIM away message, like at least once or twice. Um, I love it. And I love this movie. And I'm very excited to talk about it. And if you've clicked on the episode, you already know what we're talking about, but Ryan I need you to take my hand taking it Are you ready to get so girly with me today? Let's
1: get all girly up here. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, before we get there, so if you listened to our last episode, thank you so much for checking it out. We had this incredible interview with Pipsy Pinwheel, uh, who we were introduced to as a sideshow performer, but now know the many talents that she has. Um, She is in hot demand this time of year, so we were so grateful that she was willing to take some time out uh, to geek out with us and record the episode for our podcast. We just want to say thank you again to her.
1: Yeah, uh, extremely great response to that episode episode yeah. uh got a bunch of new listeners from it so we're really you know excited about that uh, but yeah I agree completely with you just very appreciative of her time uh and a lot of fun to get to talk to her
0: yeah so i totally agree and if you liked that episode and you pay attention to our instagram you may have noticed that there was a particular event this summer we were pretty obsessive about posting yeah. about and there is a Person involved with that event that may be uh, coming up in your podcast feed soon. So be on the lookout for that interview episode Extremely coming up.
1: Extremely excited for yeah. that and perfect for this time of year. Yes, for sure.
0: <laughs> well, if you are listening to us for the first time or the thousandth time, thank you so much for clicking play today. We are two people who fell in love in a movie theater and never quite left. We started this podcast to fill gaps in our own film knowledge, which is something we're doing today for one of us. Um, but, you know, who could it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, uh, you know, just so we we could talk about films that we super love and now get to interview people that are super interesting and really entertaining. Um, So thank you for checking us out. Um, To set the stage for this, though, um, the film we were talking about today, which is Practical Magic, came out in 1998. So, uh, Ryan, what's the landscape of film in 98? What do you remember? What do you love?
1: 98, we've got competing, you know, asteroid films. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, that's a Deep Impact
1: and Armageddon. Both being taken down by a giant iceberg in Titanic.
0: Well, okay, so this is the crazy thing, and looking this up, I'm like, what was the top grossing film in 98? And it said Titanic, and I was like... which didn't
1: come out in 1998. (laughs) Can I tell you, I thought about not mentioning it because of that, but, I mean, it came out in, what, December of 97, right?
0: Yes, the first week of December.
1: So, I felt like that was okay, and plus, it's just, I mean, when you just take over the year, you, (laughs) when you're the biggest movie, one of the biggest films of all time, you deserve to be mentioned. Uh, But then, yeah, like I said, we got Armageddon versus. Deep Impact. Who wins in your book? Uh, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'm a Deep Impact guy.
0: Yeah, so I bring this up in case we have new listeners so they know to take my opinions more seriously, because the correct answer is Armageddon. (laughs) It's not. It is. It's just because of Ben Affleck. No, Elijah Wood (laughs) is stumbling up that mountain. Lily Sobieski's got a baby and a papoose, like, totally, like, acting (laughs) like. You are
1: totally disregarding, you know, the greatest president of all time in a film.
0: Okay, you're not wrong. Morgan Freeman. Freeman. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. Was there a president in Armageddon? I don't remember one, if there was. Or I don't. Oh, that's a good.
1: I, I don't know. I'll remember. have to fact yeah. check myself because I don't remember I don't think one. it's a name. For some reason, I feel like we visually see him, but...
0: But it's not like a major part yeah. of the story where there's an asteroid heading towards Earth and you have to send <laughs> uh, oil drillers up to the asteroid. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Steve Buscemi. I just... T- what t- I t- like t- t- about Impact <laughs> is it, it gives us
1: more the Earth stuff.
0: So what you're like is like, I want to really get on the ground and see what the terror would be. Of course, some of you are going to be chosen. Some of you are not. That's called watching the news. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, he right, what are he went films? political, people.
0: What? <laughs> what does that mean?
1: Uh, anyway, sorry. We also got Godzilla, speaking of disaster films. I don't know
0: what you're talking about. The soundtrack was great.
1: <laughs> Matthew, let's put Matthew Broderick in a Godzilla movie. What did work. he have this. <laughs> uh, but also that year. I mean, let's... Probably the one probably the best film of the year, Saving Private Ryan. Um, yep, should've. it was the best film of the <laughs> yeah. year. Um, then we have something about Mary, which obviously was a huge, you know, film that was the uh, time
0: that was number four at the box office, right behind Saving Private Ryan. I think number yes, two is Yep, mm-hmm. number two is Armageddon. <laughs> then we have the
1: Waterboy and Doctor Doolittle is in there in the top ten. Um, Streaming
0: didn't exist. The movies had to go somewhere.
1: <laughs> Rush Hour, which was a huge thing, you know, film at the time. I mean, I know it's. It's got its you know people that love it now. Uh, Goodwill Hunting makes the top ten, and then a couple of other ones, just notable. Truman Show, Hope Floats. So another Sandra Bullock, um, Blade, and uh, Halloween. You know H two O. So um, so like you know I mean a memorable year. I don't know if it's the strongest year we've talked about on here.
0: Did you miss any?
1: did, did I? Yeah. <laughs> Rushmore. <laughs> Oh, oh, well, you SLC know SLC Punk, <laughs> The
0: Big Lebowski. Indie films don't exist to you, Ryan. If they don't have a box office presence, they, they <laughs> right. don't mean anything. Pie?
1: I'm, I'm I'm, all big studio over here. Well, I'm just
0: like, I'm like I know how much he loves Rushmore <laughs> and SLC Punk. I know how much I love The Big Lebowski and how we both respect the movie Pie, and none of those are even coming out of your lips.
1: Do we do we want to discuss our, our conversations about... Uh prep for this
0: <laughs> for this episode <laughs> y'all the fall is busy and prep has been scant and i feel like i'm throwing I did, heaters i didn't throw this
1: 1998 list together about
0: two minutes before we turned on the mics i know and i'm like throwing heaters at you like how do you not know ryan how dare
1: you the important the important one to remember for today's hour-long episode is number 43 practical magic
0: a great movie right uh, yeah. Total fall vibes, right? Got Very much so. A really attractive Nicole Kidman. Uh-huh. Not arguing. <laughs> Ryan Tosse. How could you have never seen Practical Magic? You <laughs> yeah. love Nicole Kidman. Coming out
1: hard out here. I do. Very much. Um, and Sandra
0: on, Bullock. Listen, I'm hopped up on cider and pumpkin spice vibes, so you need to prepare for this energy level the rest of the episode. Uh,
1: that's fair.
0: <laughs> but why have you never seen this movie until I showed it to you? Simple.
1: 1998. This film was a critical in box office failure.
0: We're You read in reviews, Pauline Kale. Come on now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will say that a probably a film that maybe didn't catch my eye. Sure. Um, And I will say like from the Nicole Kidman standpoint, I will be honest with you. I, I became a much bigger Nicole Kidman fan shortly after this, probably early 2000s.
0: Well, and we'll get to that because I'll be curious where that starts. I have a feeling I know where that begins. But so this is just something that like passed you by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Were you aware of it? Yes. Okay. I'm yeah. acting like a market researcher yeah, for the that's film. <laughs>
1: <but>. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a few of these movies, and, and I think through, you know, just normal conversation that are going to come up, that come up around this, time or that came out around this time, that, you know, listen, I... <laughs> I was a 90s boy too. Like that's unfortunately sure. I'm not going to sit there and pretend like that didn't play a small factor in why I wasn't rushing out to see this movie. Um I didn't have a girlfriend at this time of my stage of my life. So Aww, that you know. Um so no, I I think that's ultimately if this film had been this like overwhelming you know, everyone was talking about it, it probably would have pulled me in. But, you know, I wish I had a better answer. It's probably the most honest answer of our how could shoes that I can give to you other than, you know, normally it's like, oh, I just missed it. Or like, oh, I heard about it. Or I was too young. This is just one note. No, I didn't make an effort to see it. Um, Didn't really, it wasn't like I was against it for any reason. Like, it wasn't like, I'm not going to see that. It just didn't ever pull me in and nothing pulled me in. It wasn't until... Later, until you know, I realized from you, and and then through obviously the more get into the depths of you know films and stuff like that, that I realized this movie took a really took on a, a cult classic audience. That I understood that it was it is a fairly beloved film.
0: No, and listen, and I understand that part of it because like it's 100% not marketed towards your demographic at that time. Yeah, like, I can't you,
1: wait to talk about marketing.
0: Oh, this. yeah. So, I can we talk about the ridiculousness of this trailer right from the beginning? This trailer makes no sense for the movie So I plan on Instagram Because I'm going to use like a shady Download a YouTube video like website (laughs) And I'll post the trailer on Instagram Or a link to it so you can watch it It positions it like a hijinx comedy Like the Owen sisters really get into some messes And I'm like this movie is about tragic loss And special death and murder and zombies And hate like this is not this movie's not lighthearted in the way in which it was marketed like it was a knee-slapping com- romantic comedy and it's not
1: yeah the the tone is totally missed in that uh that trailer that trailer is ridiculous and feels like such a late 90s trailer for like you said essentially what they're trying to sell is a rom-com um to some degree or you know even the taglines for this movie are terrible uh one is uh for two women and a family of witches falling in love is the trickiest spell of all
0: i hate that so much
1: (laughs) or the other one was there's a little witch in every woman
0: oh god (laughs) so i
1: think it's just a it speaks of a time that didn't know how to market a female-centric film um you know unless it was based around listen this film doesn't you know, pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> um, mo- you know, but it does, it's not far from it. Like it, it's definitely getting a passing grade. Like, I mean, you know, it's probably a B, maybe <laughs> a C plus. Um.
0: This is what I'll say about the film. And because I think this is without a doubt, something we'll talk about throughout the throughout. Um, I hate the love story in this film. I'll be very honest. The, the whole entire sequence that we'll talk about, like the, the, what I feel is a shoehorned in love story to follow what was very popular at the time, which is a conversation we'll have later, is like romantic comedies reign supreme at the box office. It was something that they knew how to mark towards a target female demographic in that like 18 to 24 or 24 to like 35 like range of like where they were really trying to target where they felt like that was where their profits could come from. So this film being marketed as a comedy makes sense because there was a template for this, but this is falls into that Romantic drama, but not in that weepy way of something like the bridges of Madison County. It's not like that. It's something in between comedy and drama. It really is like it's a spooky season movie. It's a movie about witches um, and it has a lot of mystical elements that lean it more towards a horror romance than towards anything that resembles a comedy or even as I'm framing as maybe potentially a drama. So I kind of get that part of it. But the crazy thing about this is, is you have at the front of this, not even talking about the other cast members, it's Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock in the late 90s. The fact that this was a box office failure um, and has only received its like proper cult following since is kind of insane in that way, because I will it and I'll ask you this question. So, you became a fan of Nicole Kidman, I'm going to guess, because of Moulin Rouge, right? Yes? Y- yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. So, that was your entrance. So, you are a fan of Nicole Kidman, as I've already positioned it. There's going to be... Get-
1: uh, yeah, there's a little bit... But, yes, go ahead. But,
0: pretty much Moulin Rouge. Is Is this, like, a peak Nicole Kidman performance, though, in Practical Magic? <sighs>
1: yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, listen, Nicole Kidman is one of the greatest actresses of all time, Um I, no argument there. Uh, yeah. So, like, to try to narrow it down to a period of time, for me, I would agree with you. I think this is just, she hits this kind of period of time right around here that she is just, like you said, yeah, peak. And I think this is a, a this example with, you know, putting it with other films at this time. Sure. Yeah. She's just you don't want to take your eyes off of her when she's on screen.
0: Well, and it, and, and it's important that you point that out because like she does this, her next film after this is eyes wide shut. Um, now you, as you and I have talked about, she was filming them at the same time because if for, if for nothing else, like if you know anything about Kubrick's filmmaking process, well, eyes wide shut comes out in 1999. This film comes out in 1998. So obviously she was filming them either at the same time or there was some overlap. Um, But so she does Eyes Wide Shut. Prior to Practical Magic, the things she was most well-known for were films like Dead Calm, which is a personal favorite. Malice, which is a deeply messed up movie with her and Alec Baldwin. Um, If you want to really be unsettled, sure, go ahead. Um, Make sure your marriage is stable, though, before you watch it. Uh, Far and Away, Days of Thunder, Batman Forever. (laughs) amazing amazing performance (laughs) dr chase meridian um and to die for those are her big roles prior to practical magic well
1: that's you know kind of going back to our you know you were like oh you you love nicole kidman how could you not have seen it and i don't become a fan probably until later you know other than chase meridian and batman forever i don't know how much because i never i don't think i still have yet ever seen days of thunder um i i know you have this you love dead calm i've actually never seen it i know it was a personal favorite of my dad's i know you and him watched it together um were you uh, not in the room no no i was uh, checked out somewhere yeah. else i don't know but like like you were asking yes you're gonna hit i mean i've talked about these movies all the time but Mulan rouge is one of the greatest theater experiences i ever had i was just blown away so probably from that moment on but it's also eyes wide shut right around this or right before this um I had not seen to die for until this period of time. Uh Um, So you went backwards. So I went backwards and saw to die for and how amazing she's in that. She hits the others at this time, Mm. which I think is an incredible film. film. And then I'll even (laughs) throw in the Robbie Williams, Nicole Kidman. Um, something stupid video that she's in, which is one of my favorites and a song that's, you know, very like you and I absolutely means yeah, a lot to us. And we yeah. love, um, I even had the birthday girl poster <laughs> on my wall, not the greatest movie, but, but
0: the poster was dope. Yeah. 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 And she's great she's in it, great, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I just think, you know, at that point and then she, you know, obviously she'll go on, do the hours and, you know, win the Oscar. And from there, her career a, a completely, you know, just. Skyrockets.
0: Well, and I think this is, like, what I like about looking back at her filmography, because it's, like, prior to this, it's, like, all of the things that show the dimensions of, like, what what makes her so apt to do something like Eyes Wide Shut and to work with Kubrick, because that takes, obviously, a particular actress to be able to do that, um, and, and and that role in particular. Um, and what I love about the what I love about watching Nicole Kidman movies, like, prior to Practical Magic is, like... She is the most enchanting part of every single one of those movies. Now, like, something in To Die For, it's her movie. But every single one of those, she's the best part in it. She is the part that you cannot take your eyes off of her. And, yes, of course, I think we'll make jokes and cheeky comments that, like, her physical beauty, which I think is really highlighted in Practical Magic. She looks gorgeous in this film. But it's also there's – she has that – Indescribable thing. Oh my god, I just did it. I didn't even mean to do the indescribable magic line from the ABC. <laughs> <MCU. laughs> I just did it's it. It's just now <laughs> there. It's just so in there. Okay, sorry. But oh. she has that thing that makes her <laughs> so appealing. She just, she has such an incredible, and when I say indescribable, I mean because it's like, it's, it is a, Special magic all her own. Oh my god, this is just gonna be a pun filled episode. Somehow
1: Nicole Kidman <laughs> sounds great on a podcast like this. <laughs> I
0: can't, I can't. Um, okay, let's move over. We will love Fest about Nicole Kidman. This yeah, whole episode, something but. you
1: said though, I do want to point out, and that's the thing with Nicole Kidman. And like, yes, I mean, obviously, she is a beautiful actress, and, and that obviously, you know, as a movie star is a hugely, you know.
0: Beneficial, beneficial. Like, you can't pretend it's
1: not. Uh, however, what I love about Nicole Kidman's career is when you really look at her filmography, it doesn't kind of like she takes so many different chances and different mm-hmm. types of mm-hmm. roles. Like for an actress of, of her, like like her, you would have thought she would have got shoehorned into a certain type of film, and she doesn't. And that is what I think is just. The best, like, because that just show it showcases the talent that she has.
0: No, and I think also, you know, smart decisions. I think she obviously knew what projects to pick. I think and an incredible trust that she probably creates between herself and filmmakers. And she is just this amazing, amazing, like, special, once in a generation kind of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, her counterpart in this film, it's interesting because although we're starting by talking about her, she probably is second seat to Sandra Bullock. So I will ask you: Are you a Sandra Bullock fan? I know that sounds weird. Mm-hmm. She's such like a staple and. In- Well, right now in pop American culture, but (laughs) in general, like, in American film culture. So, are you a Sandra Bullock fan? Yes. Yeah. Do you have, like, a peak Sandra Bullock?
1: Um, see, and that's where I think I probably had this slight hesitation. The Sandra Bullock is probably somebody that, um... Every, every, I don't. I cannot tell you off the top of my head, other than one major role, <laughs> um, that I dislike Sandra Bullock in a role. Like, yeah. like to me, she's just again one of those actresses. Good movie, bad movie. You're just happy she's in it. Um, you know, to me, it sounds like we're going back to the roots here. Speed.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, you know,
1: I just remember being in that theater and just. Yeah, she, you understood why she became a star after that.
0: Well, and I think that term that gets, like, used, you know, it's like, her, like, um, a lot of times this gets attributed to Julia Roberts, too, and I think it's part of the rom-com thing of the 90s, but that America's Sweetheart. Like, there's something very fresh and, like, you know, Sandra Bullock feels like she can do, like, a variety of things. Like, she can kind of lean dramatic, she can lean comedic, um, and I think that... Equal balance in a lot of her performances is like what makes her so appealing because in the moments in which she can like kind of break your heart and make you cry, you know, a few moments later she can make you laugh mm-hmm. too. So like I think that's always been the fun. My my peak Sandra Bullock is Miss Congeniality. Like I I re- and 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 it's weird because it's actually I would say even I love the movie While You Were Sleeping more, but I love her so much in Miss Congeniality. She's so funny in that movie and like and is like. A great physical comedian in that her timing is awesome. Prior to doing practical magic, she does speed, of course. Um she does a time to kill um the net. I think she's incredible in the net i would listen i don't know how rewatchable that movie is to a modern audience right. but i remember being <laughs> riveted by that
1: movie I, I i recently and when recently i say in the last months to a year thought about that movie and i was kind of had the same feeling yeah. you I'm like how does that film look today like i remember it being such a big deal at the time
0: yeah it and and honestly i don't i think the the analog aspect of it mm. might be kind of charming but i think the problem is is the pace of it would feel very slow to a modern audience I think she's also amazing in a time to kill. Yeah, she's incredible in a time. She I I think I I think oftentimes Matthew McConaughey's performance gets highlighted in that, but Mm -hmm. I actually I think I favor hers even slightly more. She's also obviously she's in While You Were Sleeping, which she's incredibly charming in. And then Demolition Man, which Yes (laughs) yes. (laughs) And you'd be
1: excited if I brought up. (laughs) You know what? I'm gonna save Demolition Man conversation for our next episode. (laughs) You don't remember.
0: No, I don't know what our next episode is. I'll let, it be. I'll,
1: I'll let you some
0: happy surprise. Okay, thank you. Uh, I like being surprised when we're recording at nice, Not when you pull the nun card on me, though. That's bullshit. Don't do that.
1: But otherwise. The nun card who just disappeared. Um,
0: or did I? I want to- <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will say a uh, big fan of Gravity, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's really, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I think it just goes to um, other than, you know, uh, neither of us are fans. And and it seems even worse now um, of her in Blindside.
0: I know. And I remember at the time really thinking, I'm glad she's winning because I like her. But that's not a reason to win an Oscar. And I, and I hate saying and I swear this is not revisionist because of the current standings of that film it's more just I remember the performance feeling like I think she shows better layers in other films take a film like Hope Floats she's better in that and I'm not saying Hope Floats is a great movie but she's put something I think with a little more effort in that I don't know it's just
1: it, well I, I mean yeah I think you know looking at her career and I think this was kind of like when you asked this question it's like her films don't necessarily jump out to me as as favorite films, whereas Nicole Kidman has been in some films that I would rank up there as like top yeah, favorite I get films. That. So that's probably why you know. But again, you can't. Probably twenty eight days was probably a, a role that she should have been more recognized for She's for that Oscar. Really great in that. Um,
0: that's not an easy movie, and that <laughs> was also marketed like a comedy, and it's not <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> yes, I. Marketing is is quite its own thing, um, but the one that's interesting here is she, she does speed two.
0: I don't hate speed two.
1: I don't <laughs> well, hate it. Speaking of what, you and I are, are two defenders, I think weirdly of the movie Murder by Numbers.
0: I love the movie Murder by Numbers. <laughs> I, I know, which we I'll talked about it. on the
1: Scream episode, but, like, yeah. So I think her role in that is, is great. It's a departure for her and, and everything. But the Speed 2 one, obviously, is a very infamous, she you know... She gets in
0: on the ground floor on Gosling. It's just <laughs> a smart move.
1: I, so when she does Speed 2, Speed 2 is... Obviously, a box office failure. It's kind of mocked a lot. Do you
0: think it's because of the leeches? Do you think that's where people dipped out? Not help.
1: Speed too? It did not help. It did not help. The boat did not help. And no Keanu, definitely. So when that film fails, it puts Sandra Bullock in a place where she has to look at her career. And she's on record of saying the reason she ends up taking Practical Magic and Hope Floats is because of the failure of speed two, where she decides she doesn't want to do these huge, like you know, action-packed blockbuster movies. She just wants to do films that and scripts that mean something to her, and that's kind of the way she follows her career from there. Whether they're you know successful or failure, she does it doesn't really bother her. She's really just trying to find this follow the scripts that mean something to her. And Practical Magic is the first on that list, and
0: it's so good. <laughs> um... You know, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad for that, because, you know, Hope it's and Practical Magic do come out the same year. Hope it has more success, has a lot more marketing associated with it. It has, like, a big soundtrack, which is, like, crazy, oh, yeah, because, like, because Practical Magic has an incredible soundtrack, um, uh, like, really well curated, but two incredible songs by Stevie Nicks, who... You know, we often associate, especially now, and I think, you know, American Horror Story has been monumental for making sure that that witchy woman, like, association with Stevie Nicks stays, but, like, that's why she felt like the perfect artist to do the two songs, um, If You Ever Did Believe and um, Crystal, for the soundtrack, which are both amazing songs and feel like immediate fall vibes. Um, you know, you pair that with the score for this film um, that was done by Alan Silvestri. Like this has an inc- it's incredible mood setting in terms of its music. And I think that's something that can get ignored from this film. That's not the original score, though. No, I know. <laughs> Ryan, what was the original score? I, I apologize.
1: I don't remember the gentleman's name. Um, that had I don't one. either. Yeah, actually. Uh, it's a major. It's a major composer. Um, but yeah, it, they had a whole different score to it. The you know the higher-ups saw it and hated the score and made them literally pull it out right before release and do a whole different score to the movie, which works, I mean, you know, for the final product, but...
0: Well, and I will say, I do think that this score has an incredible impact on the entire mood setting of the film, which is, again, why we would say, like, the marketing for this is kind of absurd. But, you know, this film starts out with kind of, like, the prelude to the Owens family history. So this is a family that lives in an island in Massachusetts or, like, off, off the coast, obviously, of Massachusetts, but part of massachusetts Um, it's not supposed to be terribly far north of boston because there is a reference to going to logan airport at some point in the film Um, but it starts with the story of maria owens Um, this movie starts with a with a hanging that's where we begin but this was marketed as a comedy (laughs) and this is like i love the setup of this because like what i like about how they establish this beginning part is like there's so much about American history, both in actual text and folklore, about the discovery of witches, like in the New England area, like in the colonies. And like what I like, what they play with this is showing that even towns where one woman is expected to be a witch. And part of this is they talk about like Maria Owens is promiscuous. She's having many affairs with many of the people. Down hussy. (laughs) But the thing that I love about this is it's the exact opposite of what you just said. This movie does not frame it like she's a hussy. No. The women don't like that. She's like this, but the film never takes a moral stand on that. Their promiscuity is part of the villainy here. Like, What what is said is the reason that Maria Owens goes to the hanging block is because most of the the wives of the men that she was sleeping with were on the hanging committee. So it's out of, like, complete jealousy. So it's interesting because in this town, it's supposed to be framed as, like, the men aren't the ones on the hanging committee, it's the women, which is very different from everything we know about New England, like, culture and, like, witch trials. And that it's the idea of, like, the gift of magic and that, like sexuality and is kind of, like, celebrated in the family. There's even a joke later on during the Midnight Margarita scene where it's, like, yelled, like, since when in this family has being a slut ever been a crime? Like, the idea of, like, that's supposed to be part of it, I've got to say, that's a radical difference in the sexual politics that were normally pushed at women during the 90s. Like, this felt... Like a revelation, like, oh, it's not bad. She's the hero of the story and she's magical and they're beautiful and that's to be celebrated. Like, holy hell, like this is already, this movie and credit to the screenwriter and credit to Griffin Dunn's direction is already trying to do something very different with that.
1: Do you, I agree with everything with you and I like it, uh, but do we count Aunt Maria as as a, as a hero? Yeah, Kind of. <laughs> she the shut kind of puts her poor family. <laughs> <laughs> She's grieving. <laughs> Understandable. Well,
0: and I do, I, so I have to tell you, this movie is, um, I, so I don't like bugs to begin with. We have had caterpillars in our house, or not caterpillars. <laughs> We've had crickets in our house as of late. It's that time of year we're trying to get in and they've been driving us insane. And the problem is, is that if you are a kid who has been mainlining this movie since 1998, then crickets kind of sound like the Death Watch Beetle. They and f- really do. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've recently yeah. watched this again, like, it freaks me out every God, time. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know that's coming for me. <laughs> like, you're good.
1: So as long as I don't just stand in the middle of the road and a bunch of bikers <laughs> come by. And an
0: apple cart. <laughs> of- but, like, so here's why I would say Maria's a hero. Is like, I think, like, I think you're supposed to think that Maria's curse is unintentional. Like, she's grieving that she was outcast from society her lover didn't want to support her, not that we ever know who the identity is of the father, which is a very important thing because the Owens name passes down through the women, not through the men, because they all get killed. Um, So the children, and this continues in the book series as well, like the children never take on the male name. They always take on Owens, and like...
1: They call her Aunt Maria, too. She has to be the grandmother, though, right?
0: Yeah, I always think that that genealogy doesn't make okay. sense. However, <laughs> I will say one of the books does explain, but there are a lot of differences between the gotcha. movie okay. series and the book. So I do think it... I I do actually think it's their aunt, but that gets described somewhere else. Um, but I love this opening of it. It's very... It's weird. It's both, like... It's very l- wondrous and magical, but what it really is is, like, this is the origin story of, like, how Sally and Jillian or Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kinman's character, it's how their parents die, because the Owens family curse, is. if you haven't watched this movie, is essentially that because Maria Owens... Um, was denied partnership and kind of outcast to this island that she in her grief cre- accidentally or purposely created a curse that means that like all of the males who fall in love with Owen's women will eventually meet their death i mean it's harsh it's harsh, but, like, from a second-wave feminism standpoint, right. kind of metal.
1: Like,
0: you know, like... Yeah, you... You don't want
1: to be involved with this, trust me. You don't me. want to be involved with this, guys. I'm, I'm helping you out. <laughs> yeah. You,
0: trust me. You, you've had a No One's Woman, now you do want to die. <laughs> you know, it's it's like a really... So it sets up, and, like, the thing that's set up about, like, Jillian and, and, and Sally's parents is that the father died by the curse of the Death Watch Beetle. Um, the, the mother, it's it suggested that she commits suicide, uh, but they frame it as that she dies of a broken heart and then they have to go live with their aunts. Um,
1: played by the great Stalker Channon and Diane Wiest.
0: Oh my gosh. I love them so They're much. They're really good. Can I tell you, I know I will never reach that, but that has always been the auntie vibe I've wanted to have. <laughs> and any of our nieces and nephews who are listening will be like, that's like not your vibe, but I've always wanted it to be my, like, <laughs> Chocolate cake for breakfast. I'm gonna teach you spells. A little rowdy, a little raunchy. That's kind of what I was looking for. Big hats.
1: Yeah, you seem
0: completely <laughs> different. <laughs> Um, but I'm glad Want to get there. <laughs> I love their performance in this. And I also will say this is like at still, I would say, that golden time in which like romantic dramas and romantic comedies were still casting like really incredible actors and actresses, yep. even in side parts, because their roles as the ants who do not age at all throughout the film. Um even though it spans a good well, bit of time. Well, that's, I was, in,
1: in my, my, my little bit of research, um, there is a suggestion, though, right, that the, the Owens women live longer, right, because I, of
0: that. I um, think you're to think and that one there's... of that is
1: because of, like, the clothing that the ants are wearing compared to the fact that they don't really age when we see them, that type of thing.
0: Well, and I also think that's why you're supposed to think that Sally is opening that um, store with skincare.
1: I gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah that's
0: supposed yeah. to be. I, I think they know how to preserve themselves a little bit better. And I do think they're supposed to be probably a suggestion of that they live longer. Soccer
1: Chandon and Diane Weiss just work so amazing off of each other
0: they're in many ways my favorite part of the movie
1: i can understand that <laughs>
0: yeah um,
1: which is if something something i will bring up and later not just but.
0: because my grandmother knew stockard channing when she was a little girl oh that's nice yeah so stockard channing that's not her actual name stockard is her family name they own stockard shipping company in new york city and my grandmother worked for stockard shipping oh. company and stockard channing used to like run around the office and she knew her when she was little oh
1: well, that's cool yeah. very cool yeah. was she a big Grease fan then
0: my grandmother? Yeah. I was like, I assume Stockard Channing was a great fan of <laughs> Grace. Um... Can I tell you, I, like, don't remember. I just remember that story. How did you like, not know
1: your grandmother that was a Rizzo fan? Like, I don't
0: understand. I don't think she would have thought of Rizzo as a role model <laughs> for me. I'm going to be really <laughs> honest with you. I don't want to assume, but I think Gumi would have been like, that's not the path to follow.
1: Now, Stalker Channon was not originally cast. It was supposed to be Vanessa Redgraves. Um, and then...
0: I think Vanessa Redgrave would have done a great job. Yeah, I think too. so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But, you know, I, I think you can't argue with these two.
0: Well, and I think it's because they play off of each other, and, like, and I think there's... There's something very, I and mean, not to be punny, but, like, really magical in their chemistry because it feels really deep and ancient and lived in. Like, these are women who, you know, and I think you, you understand immediately because at one point, like, Stalker Chance says, like, what about my poor Ethan when they're talking about, like, the Death Watch Beetle curse and, like... And I think part of that is that, you're going to understand, these are also women who have experienced loss together and only really have each other. And that's, like, kind of at the core of this text is the idea of, like, those bonds of, like, whether it's through sisterhood or aunts or daughters, like, the bonds of, of like, womanhood that are are supposed to be something a little even more eternal than love. I think that's why I still always get pissed off that there's a love story at the center of this because I'm like, it's so unnecessary. (laughs) Even as a kid, I thought it was unnecessary. It's... (laughs) It's not great <laughs> for it's a movie that I, I will have uh, thought
1: you've introduced me to, um, i and I thoroughly do really enjoy. I think it's a great October film. It is definitely my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. All
0: right. So as, as Sally and Jillian and, and age, and we get to meet them as adults. A uh, little
1: shout out to young Sally, though, played by Camilla Bell.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But um, let's move forward. Uh,
0: but they <laughs> in time. Yeah, yeah, So Jillian's gonna run away because she hates the town that they live in because they're only know that like the town knows they're witches and are like mean about it. Can I like t- that. I like that
1: aspect of this movie that there's not really like the town just kind of accepts that they're witches.
0: Yeah, like they believe that they're witches. I mean, they they're be-
1: horrible to them, but oh, yeah, like,
0: <laughs> but that there's no question about it. Yeah. Like everyone unequivocally believes that they have magic and can do things. They get blamed for everything that's in the, that goes wrong in the town or wrong in other people's lives, but there's also this suggestion very early in the film that a lot of the women, like, come to the Owens for, like, help, whether that's probably with anti-aging or, like, scorned lovers, and, like, you know, so you have, they're really mean to birds. Um, Definitely (laughs) stab that pigeon, and it freaks me out. But when Jillian leaves, it's because she, like, doesn't want to be considered an outcast, and she wants to go somewhere where people don't know who she is that don't know that she's a magical being, and I'm like... Screw that, man. I want to live in a town that's, like, a little bit afraid of me because I'm a magical being. <laughs> and then I get to sit in this lofty, gorgeous New England house, and no one bothers me. This is, like, a great life. You hey, can't argue with it. Have I you mean... ever done a blood oath with anyone? Just quick side question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sure, you know, I
0: just, I'm just curious. I like never mo- been in like my blood, your blood, our yeah, blood kind I mean,
1: of <laughs> Mostly over, you know, getting a you know a case of beer <laughs> or playing some video games.
0: Yeah. Sweet angel, you have never bought a case of beer <laughs> and play yeah. video games? This is the falsest podcast of ever. <laughs> Um, But you have like So you know They kind of go their separate things We see Sally As like a woman Who is stuck Do you like that Characterization of Sally That she doesn't want to leave But misses her sister Do we like Like what do you think Of their relationship Is it cool that Jillian Leaves her sister behind
1: Yes, um, because I think listen, there's a lot of bickering that goes on between these sisters throughout, and for yeah. obvious reasons, they get put into some very intense situations. I, I like
0: bicker though, because of murder, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I murder someone, I'm going to be pretty bickery with everyone around me.
1: But something that I think is is throughout, and again, it's a it's a huge. Um, you know, shout out to the chemistry of the cast. Yeah. Um, the fact that Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman didn't do more films together after this is a shame because they just work so well together as well as they do with Diane Weiss and Stocker channel. Like when the four of them are on screen, it's just a just chemistry. The men are a different story <laughs> in this movie. Um, <laughs> the but, men
0: are so useless <laughs> in yeah. this movie.
1: Um, but I will say like, as far as what I never question, even at the height of the intensity is the, the bond that's between these two I and agree. the love that's between these two. But I also think they frame it nicely to that you completely understand both sides, like why Sally would stay and why Jillian would leave.
0: Yeah. And I think like the thing they give Jillian is I like that they make them... Like, not, they're not total opposites, but they definitely, they strive for different things. And that means that they have to separate for, like, a time. And I, like, the idea that, like, what Jillian is looking for is both completely understandable, but it ultimately, like, leads to a lot of, like, emptiness or, like, a lot of, like, really horrid circumstances. But, like, Sally, by staying, isn't, like, really doesn't benefit off of that. Because then what we have is, like, so she, she gets married um, via a spell. That is cast by her aunts. Moral question. Did the aunts kind of do her dirty?
1: No, they did Michael dirty.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. They straight
1: up set up poor Michael to die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, we didn't think you guys would fall in love. Didn't you write a spell so they would fall in love?
1: I guess they were kind of... I guess the argument there is false love. Like, that it wasn't... That they didn't believe... That that I think what the argument there to be made is putting a spell of love on, it's not real love, so that it wouldn't affect Mm. it. But what happened was that that spell brought them together, but then allowed Sally to actually fall in love with Michael. And okay, I think yeah. that's what ends up. Uh, I That's how I took it anyway. Um,
0: I've, I've always felt like this. But this, yeah, the, the, it's the cruel. Like, did,
1: did everybody, nothing good.
0: Well, it's one. I'm like, you guys just found the one single dude in town. Cause that's like definitely how you frame the town. Like, and he sells I, apples, I guess. I don't know really what he does.
1: Like by, by Mark Ferguson of Royal pains. Führerstein. Fearstein?
0: Fearstein. Mark Fierstein? Did you write Mark Ferguson down? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I think you're going to say Mark Ferguson. Fearstein. Proud. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I have that. You, you, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll
1: be quiet for the rest of the episode.
0: I like that you're going to create your own, like, practical magic, like, mythology, like, a practical magic Wikipedia, and you just fill in all this nonsense, like, his name is Mark Ferguson.
1: <laughs> As this podcast knows, and our friends know. Not great with names, guys.
0: <laughs> Not great short. with
1: names. Like to mess them up a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I, you know, I, I think they do, like, a really charming, like, time lapse on this, even though you know where it's going. I absolutely hate the Death Beetle or death watch beetle like sequence <sighs> yeah. it's so sad and like this is the thing i'll say in credit so griffin dunn you probably more well know him if you're <laughs> listening to this um if you were a fan of this is us um so this movie was directed by the older version of uncle nicky from this is us i had no idea i watched every season of this is us i had no idea this was the same person until i was prepping for the podcast I'm like griffin dunn that name sounds familiar But here's who I thought. I thought it sounded like the name of an author from the 90s, like, you know, that would put out like 90 books, because I think there was like a griffin that was within that. And like, but yeah, Uncle Nicky from This Is Us.
1: I like that you went Uncle Nicky, not American Werewolf in London, Jack.
0: (laughs) I'm going with the odds of our listenership. Shout out to Danielle, who loves This Is Us, and will know who I'm talking about.
1: (laughs) No, I I, literally, I wrote those two down because I think, yeah, by most people are going to know him from one of those two. Also, me, my bummer, you know, trivia here is uh, Griffin Dunn is the brother of Dominic Dunn, who was in Poltergeist, um, who famously had been, unfortunately, life was cut short and murdered. Um, Oh my God,
0: that's his sister? Yes. Oh yeah, my, we which just is a very famous that. story
1: in the eighties. Yeah. First, and really, we did. Yeah, we just we watched just Poltergeist. Watch Poltergeist. Yes. Oh my gosh! I don't um, know that. But yeah, Gravenon um, doesn't really do much into directing after that. Addicted to Love, um, he did, yeah. and it did a lot of TV shows. It looks like he but. did.
0: He directed a lot on TV, and then kind of takes a break, and then like his again, like his big thing lately has been *This Is Us*, which he's really great in. He's actually, I think, like one of my favorite characters that was on that show.
1: Um, I, Le- I want to ask you though, quick. Yeah. Um, the death of of michael mm-hmm. did it remind you of another film his death I, I, every I, both, all the times you've showed it to me now the few times you've showed it to me it just reminds me of meg ryan in city of oh angels my gosh, yes, it's 100%. Just a very meg ryan city of angels moment which also came out in 1998 which i did not list earlier i apologize if that should have been on my list of, no
0: one should list city of angels <laughs> it had a great song and
1: that's top 5 song top to five me songs of all time
0: completely great great song um but that movie garbage um it's because the ending made me really sad <laughs> it's really what it comes down to probably everything like feels a like the movie <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, just know you're all right i will not think. all right let's get out of bummer city um because and i will say that scene is very i think it's really well directed and and it's heartbreaking yeah um yeah
1: complete credit it's, and i agree with you what's really cool about cool uh really great about that is it, it packs a lot of information. <laughs>
0: You're like, I really like truck murders. <laughs> <Right>. They're cool. <laughs> why did he not move out of the street? Like, he was you have breath. this ridiculous all also, the bikers like, coming Why did they warn him about the bikers but not the truck? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Like where was the that lady on the truck? Was just Michael, <laughs> look out! Was like, oh, I already warned you about the bikers. It's somebody else's job to warn you about the truck behind you. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. So I'm sorry that was very but aggressively a really loud well directed uh, a
1: really well directed scene because it is it's heartbreaking, you know, and 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 they pack a lot of information to a very short period of
0: time, unlike what you and I do. Yeah. <laughs> on this podcast, Which is we extend the least <laughs> amount of information as long as possible. Um, also, like pairing with this, though, you get what Julian has been up to, which is she is living. What in has ha- she been doing? Some stuff. <laughs> yeah. She's been going to a lot of parties where they wear <laughs> denim and leather by poolside, which is a question I have about costume design. Um, a lot of bandanas, denim, leather, poolside, Arizona vibes. Like, I don't know what that is, but it's kind of hot. and And she's kind of dating Jimmy Angeloff, who is played by Goran Visnjic. I'm not going to say Pete Goran Visnjic because I think we all know that's ER. ER. Yeah. yeah of course. <laughs> but he looks great in this movie, <laughs> until he turns
1: so psycho. Yeah, I mean, he's about as evil a character as you see in a film. But
0: Well, because, and I think that's the thing, is, is like, he starts out super charming, and then there's like, you know, so when uh, Nicole Kidman has to travel by dream, or, well, actually, I'll ask you this. So, you know, so... so Sally's husband dies um she goes to live with the ants, kind of repeating what happened to her as a child um she's very against her kids doing magic she sees magic as like you know part and parcel why her husband has died um that being an Owens woman has brought her this fate because she really did fall in love with her husband which is you know so incredibly sad um which is especially why I don't think you need the romance at the back end of this movie but I digress um she asked them to bring Michael back, but they're like, he'll come back as something like super dark and unnatural. Um, Goran Viznik, like when we see him or Jimmy Angelov when we first meet him, like he's, it's super sensuous. It's kind you know, it's like super dreamy vibes. It's got that great song. And then like when Sally needs to go visit Jillian, whether it's post funeral, there's a lot of like ambiguity of like how much they've seen each other during this time, if they've seen each other during this time. Um, She drugs him with uh, Belladonna, Um, but he's kind of, like, charming and goofy. Like, there is no sense that he's, like, malicious yet. Like, the only thing we get is Jillian, like, telling Sally, oh, he's so intense. But there's nothing, like, in that first part that lets you know how bad this is going to get and how quickly. Um, So I'll ask you, the scene where Jillian is driving to Sally, do you think that's actually happening, or do you think she's astral projecting herself to visit Sally?
1: Oh, I I will take it. I took it as literal.
0: Okay, I have always taken it as literal, yeah. too. I have seen d- things... D-
1: despite the, you know, background scenery
0: Also um, being
1: very dreamlike.
0: Uh, like a peak Joni Mitchell moment. Yeah. Like, she's singing A Case of You. She, like, drives across the desert. It's, like, really awesome. It's and a great.
1: Yeah, it's a, yeah.
0: I love that scene. So that might be, like, honestly, one of just my, like, in terms of, like, just really simple moments in the movie, that's, like, one of my favorite. And when I say simple, I mean, like, it could be forgettable, but Nicole Kidman makes it so charming and, like... I love that she goes to visit her. I, I
1: w- won't until you just brought that up. I would have never watched it in that way. I get it because she kind of just shows up and disappears pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but to me, I, the driving in the car scene to me doesn't really, you know, shout astral
0: you know? astral projection astral projection to me. Um, Ryan, what does shout astral projection to you? I'm just curious. <laughs>
1: for another podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but we get that great sequence and like you talked earlier about the bonds i love i love them like just lying in bed together i love them being silly together like yeah you know, it's that
1: family moment you know somebody's hurting you're just you know driving all night to get to them I, I, I think th- it works much better than
0: i agree yeah i agree like i think there's and it's and again like such a great sequence in the film because it's that conversation back and forth where sally can finally like grieve but she also gives her space to laugh again and she says like I was really happy like it's such it's super super heartbreaking but I think also what it has in it is like it it feels to me like a real testament to sibling bonds of like in that way like siblings can give you the space to like really heal um you know if you're lucky enough to be close to a sibling I think that's like something that they but they can also like make you laugh at even the times in which you really don't want to laugh about something, but they give you a reason to because they know that's also part of your healing. I love how that's capturing that moment. I think you could really talk about this with sisters, but I would say, like, that's kind of all siblings. Like, I think those bonds can be so great. Um But she leaves and, like, you know, Sally tries to start coming back to life. But then we have this, you know, this is where it turns into a horror movie. Like, it's been a pretty charming if not tragic like romantic drama set in a sleepy new england town and then all of a sudden uh, jimmy angeloff hits a very different gear what do you make of the sequence where like sally has to go and save her
1: Well, I I mean, I think the sequence of events that we get from, you know, the Michael's death to this moment is like kind of goes against everything we just talked about with how the marketing was. Right. Like this just shows how dark this film gets. And and dark doesn't have to necessarily mean completely, you know, void of any type of light. It just means, you know, everything. And I, you know, I think, you know, it's... (laughs) There is a moment later on where you have to try to keep reminding yourself, like, they did murder this guy. Like, <laughs> is it murder? But I think it's, no, <laughs> I think it's self-defense. I, I think it's two women trying to do what they can to to get out of a horrible situation. Um, and I think, again, this kind of goes back to your question with, with, you know, Jillian coming to see Sally and now Sally going to her. I think it just works both ways. They both know when the other one needs the other one and they're willing to. Go and do everything they can to get to them.
0: Well, and I think it's, like, very sweet. Because, like, the whole sequence of this is, like... that that's
1: sibling bond, right? Yeah.
0: There. Oh No, 100%. But then, like, we go from this, like, very, like, heartfelt conversation we're having about the bonds between siblings to, like, um some really, like, batshit intense stuff where... It's intense, Julian Jillian yeah. has been kidnapped and is being driven around and hidden in hotels, and she's being abused, and then you find out very quickly that Jimmy is a kind of malicious that it, that is not just intense but I mean he's psychotic um you know he takes them both essentially hostage like threatens and says you have to drive you really do get the impending sense like this he plans to murder both of them yeah it's if, hard to see an end game to that other than that and i think there's a lot of other things implied too <laughs> well
1: there is there if i I don't know if this is – and I'll let you speak to this to some degree. There are some implications throughout this that they use with a very soft hand that I don't know if it's like, you know, are you kind of not doing a disservice to it by by just kind of putting the thought there and not really addressing it? Or is that more the proper way to do it of going – you kind of make your own mind of how evil this individual well,
0: is. Well, uh, here's the thing: I think you know he lays hands on women. I think obviously we find out later that he's a serial murderer. Obviously, that's something we find out as the film goes on. Uh, it's referenced later because the detective he's wanted in the case of another murder. I got gotcha. you. Um, so that's why <laughs> I'm just totally is, sorry, is that? she's a student. <laughs> well, and you're like, I don't know, is something being implied? Like, yeah, he's thought right, to have right, murdered right, right. other women. Like. And I think like there listen he has that really demented line he says like I'm really into sisters right now and look I think you can take that one way and I think there's a really uh, like obviously a pretty dark way yeah, to take it Yeah no way it. is good like, <laughs> no way is good um no not I Not
1: from Jimmy anyway
0: Here's the thing in a film of this variety where magic is at stake and I do not think that their stakes are too I think because they're not dwelling in that space long enough, I think this is a fine way to handle it. I don't want to play morality police on how you deal with, uh, you know, cases of domestic violence um, in this film. But I think what they're trying to do is show, like, look, he is, like, um, he's a maximum evil. I think it's to serve the magic that later comes um, to express, like, why essentially this goes so wrong for them and, like, why he has, you know, eventually ends up possessing Jillian, like... Um, But I think it's meant to be allegor of, like, any kind of domestic violence, and I think that's why they're kind of coy with how deep that goes. I think it's meant to be suggestive. Probably, like, and I hate to say this so it doesn't weigh down the film, because, like, how much much fun are you having with this if you get into the nitty-gritty of his crimes? Like, I don't know that you're, you don't look at this as like a, oh, it's spooky season, let me turn this on, because it's lighthearted and fun. Like, no, now all of a sudden it becomes something different. And look, this is a film where we've talked about, like, is intensely tragic. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot implied here. You know, the exchange that's happening, like, he's going to brand her, like, he's lighting up a ring to brand her. There is, I mean, he's strangling her in the backseat. So, they give him Belladonna, which has been referenced earlier in the film. He ends up dying. Um, They drive his body back to Massachusetts. I think we're supposed to be... We're not in Arizona. I think we're in Florida, where she goes and... To pick Jillian up, if I remember correctly, because she flies to Florida. That would make sense. I just, yeah. I don't know.
1: I like remember seeing the hotels. Like it seems
0: like those yeah, kind of uh, Florida type hotels. And if you're listening, you're like, that's not where they are. Um, right. I, my bad. Um, <laughs> but so there, she drive. You know, so she flies to Florida. She picks him up, and they like drive back up to Boston. And then like what they realize along the way is like they could potentially bring him back to life via this spell. Um... I love how truly demented they do the entire let's bring Jimmy back to life sequence with such intense comedy. But the most unhinged moment of this film, and I'm going to say the most unhinged moment in a a 1998 film. And and you can try it. DM me if you think you have something more unhinged than this. They have to put a star. They decide they're going to bring him back from the dead. (laughs) They have to... (laughs) Take a, They have to use whipped cream to make a white star on Jimmy's corpse. Corpse! He's dead. And Sandra Bullock dips her finger into the whipped cream that's on his body mm-hmm. and takes a lick off of it from her finger. That is the most twisted thing. Like, I will take Requiem for a dream than having to think more about the fact that she licked whipped cream off of a corpse that tried <laughs> to kill her sister. I mean yes, I
1: wrote about the the whipped cream <laughs> How do you not? Uh, for the Pentagon uh, pentagram um, I
0: think next year varsity blues is trying to repair the damage that was done to whipped cream in this film. <laughs>
1: Um, I And again, I had I the note of, do we gloss over a little bit the fact that they murdered Jimmy twice in a matter uh, of about five minutes of the film?
0: Mm, self I mean, he comes back as something dark, but I mean, like, he pops back yes. to life no, to they, murder. No, they, they don't her. have
1: a choice. But I agree. She, he's, like,
0: strangling her. It's like, I want you to be my wife. Yeah. And I'm like, this is twisted. And, like, the weird thing is, is like, and I will say, like, again, a nice balance of it's pretty comedic while they're doing this because, like, How else do you handle this? Like, if you keep this really dark, this movie gets weighed down. I mean, like, she's a parent. Jillian, like, is a woman out of choices. Like, this guy had kidnapped her and was abusing her. And now, you know they have to bring his corpse back to life so they don't both get the chair, which is yeah. talked about. Cause like they're, you know, you have that great moment where Jillian is like praying and is like, I'll be good. I'll have babies. And like, and S- Sally's like, I have babies. Like right. I did the right things. And this is still where I ended up. No,
1: on. I think you're right. Cause I think there is, it's never like go of the, you know, they know they had to do what they did. They know that it's an awful human being. Um, but it's like that—that that fear of what did we do and what are the consequences going to be—is pretty much cast a shadow over the rest of the film.
0: Yeah, and and like you know, so they you know they have to then bury him in the backyard. They make a decision not to tell the ants what happened. Ryan Tassie, smart decision, bad decision, terrible decision, the worst decision. Right? Yeah, you got to think. Like I don't want to cast aspersions on the ants but I think they have probably have dealt with this before. And I think they would have known what to do. Exactly. They're idiots. Why do They've you think?
1: hid bodies before. We oh. know it. Yes.
0: Oh yeah. Like, cause like, <laughs> you know, you got, listen, the murders justified both <laughs> times. Jimmy quite literally wakes up and chooses violence. You know, <laughs> like I think they explain this and the answer, like, this is what we're going to do. This <laughs> is how you get rid of a body. Yeah. Burying him in the garden. Stupid decision. You're in a seaside town. That thing's going to rise up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I do, and I love... And I think it speaks to two things, right? I think one... I love the line, and I don't remember the exact wording of it, but when they say it to Sally of essentially like, you can't denounce witchcraft and then try to you dip your turn, toe into it. You can't it. turn your
0: nose up at witchcraft. And then you, like, I forget. Yes, it's yeah, something it's, very
1: close to And then I think also the other thing is when they do decide to leave, and I don't want to skip over a major scene, but when they do decide to leave, uh, I think. They know that things are going to work out. So, like, to me, I feel like, like, yeah, they would have handled the shit.
0: <laughs> like, I disagree. I think they're like, oh, you know, you're not going to tell us. OK, deal with the consequences. Bye.
1: I would agree with you if they took the the kids, but they're not leaving Kylie and the sister. Uh,
0: Those aunts don't have kids. Those of us who are childless, (laughs) we don't care for children. We leave them by. Everyone (laughs) listen. and Lauren and Ryan will never get to babysit <laughs> ever again. Lauren's doing the George Costanzo <laughs> K- <out laughs>
1: situation. Damn Skippy. Over over. Um, I, I do do want to see what did. is wrong with me? And the reason why I did uh, Kylie, uh, again, another shout out to uh, young Evan Rachel Wood. I know, uh, she's
0: so good in that. She's really good in it. Because she's got to go in really great scenes. She goes toes with Sandra Bullock in a way that I think is really mm-hmm. great. That shows like, her prowess as an actress, and I also think, because like, one of the really cool things I do is I like that they kind of invert like, because, you know, Kylie and Antonia look like Jillian and Sally. And it's that idea of, like, these pairing of sisters keeps getting repeated through the generations. And But I like that they're the inverse, that she looks more like, like Jillian, but has more Sally's traits. And I think Antonia is supposed to be the same way. I just think it's, like, a cool inversion that they did. Um, but after this, so the aunts are very excited to, like, have Jillian back. Her nieces are very excited to see her. Um... And then you get like kind of life in the town and you get a lot of bitterness with Sally because, you know, she's not she's not living the the normal life that she wanted. She said, I had normal. It's pretty it tells you something really um, deeply messed up about the politic of the town that when she had a husband, she was deemed as normal. And then as soon as she he dies, she's no longer accepted because she writes to Jillian. No more taunts, no more curses. And now we're, like, right back to that same pattern of, like, her being othered in the town because her husband died, which is, like, really messed up. But this... Also gives us a really incredible scene of phone tree day.
1: <laughs> right? I, I love, I, you know, again, you know, we discuss a lot about not having children. So we've never, I've never had to be part of a PTA. You have probably seen it in various different ways. But, um, like, just the the scandal that Jillian has tattoos.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. Because what I love what you get about them, like, sitting in the classroom. It's just like... This reminder to the audience of, like, these two women are most themselves when they're with each other. Like, this is... And, like, you can tell it's, like, Sally's embarrassed, but she's, like, not really embarrassed. Because she knows her sister's, like, super cool. And, like, I love how Jillian is just, like, so overt, expressing their fears right to them. Hang on to your husband's girls. (laughs) Like, it's that immediate, like... I know exactly what you think when you see me. I'm like, let me tell you something. Like, who would not be afraid of Nicole Kidman? <laughs> and I wouldn't be afraid. I'd be stoked. But like, they're You're
1: befriending. Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> let's be
0: besties. Yeah. Let's make our own phone bush. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we don't need a phone tree. I understand immediately how that sounded, and I did not mean it to. Him. I'm just moving to the next. <laughs> we can't have children because we are children, just for the record. Um,
1: um,
0: you know, there's been a lot more talk of infertility
1: this episode than I expected. This is what happened This is what you get, listeners, when you don't prep properly for an episode.
0: The secret traumas just seep their way out.
1: Anyway, moving on, um, I do have to ask um, Is this a, a top five dance scene kitchen dance scene in a movie
0: yeah yeah take that big chill oh she's calling me. I'm gonna say so here's why I love this scene I think if you know one thing from this movie it's probably this scene if you've never seen it you've probably seen this scene reference this is the midnight margarita scene also another thing I aspire as an aunt for people to know that I have midnight margaritas <laughs> at their disposal <laughs> It's true. (laughs) Like when you stay with me, there's midnight margaritas. Um, We're now
1: starting to get some some twenty or we've had, but we're getting more and more twenty one year old uh, nieces and nephews. So the you know what? Thank you for clearing (laughs) up that (laughs) implication. You know what? I want to say something. I know we made some jokes about George Costanza, but I will say, and and you know, perhaps somebody will argue me, but I'm going to say, I you will go to bat for any Mm -hmm. single niece or nephew or anyone that you care about. They're so
0: lovely. I love them. Um, so this is, so you have this great midnight margarita sequence, um, which has, again, this is a, again, credit to Griffin Dunn's direction. You have this amazing dance sequence. It's so cute. It's so fun. It's like, who doesn't want to be in that kitchen, like dancing around with them? Like that is like this, such this fun and free moment, but man, when it turns, it's vicious. Um, you know, the center of that turn is, you know, they, we, we come to find out is the. I guess, like, everlasting bottle of tequila, um, that was on the front porch, um, you start to find out that it's the same brand that, like, Jimmy was drinking in the car the night he, that he died, and it was the thing that was spiked with the Belladonna, um, and they've been making margaritas from that tequila, um, (laughs) And you start to see this slowly happen where you think it's like, oh, they're just drunk and being playful. And maybe the play has gotten a little harsh because they're talking about how Jillian's promiscuous and Sally, like, was a real prude. And like, and you get all of these great exchanges back and forth where these four actresses are just showing how incredible each of them individually are and how well they play off of each other. I mean, it's like a tour de force, like, female empowerment acting moment. Like, it's so cool.
1: And rumor is, is that they were actually drinking on set because... That is the rumor. uh, Nicole Kidman brought a really cheap bottle of tequila (laughs) that they were just drinking all night doing this Which...
0: Honestly, I'm so glad she did. I will say, if you ever want to say there is a very to like enhance like the understanding of the bond that came from this film, there's this really sweet moment where um, Sandra Bullock was a presenter at the Oscars and and she's on the red carpet and she's getting interviewed and Nicole Kidman comes up behind her and what you find out is that Nicole Kidman will always find Sandra Bullock whenever she's on the red carpet and it happened to be that the interviewee. Didn't, it was just like, oh, two incredible actresses. And then they just started talking about practical magic That's of great. like, she's like, she's my sister. Like, <laughs> like, and, and so I think those bonds apparently have really like sustained like throughout the years and they feel very like, and I can imagine like if I was, you know, share a bottle of tequila with someone all night to film a scene, hmm. like it's, it's going to hmm. kind of bond you up. But I love this moment. And but, then it turns, you know, cause Jimmy.
1: put lime in the coconut though. Two major films. Reservoir Dogs and this.
0: It's better in this. Oh Take It Tarantino. Well
1: it. Watch well, <laughs> It's probably the more memorable song from Reservoir Dogs.
0: Well that's hundred percent. Stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so But this is just I love this scene. And then but then this like is like kind of the last mark of things being pretty normal because after this, um, you know, we have Detective Gary Hallett shows up. Uh Jimmy is making his presence more and more known, his there's frogs, there's roses, the toes are coming out of the ground. Um, Kylie sees a ghostly presence of him the next morning in the garden. Um, you know, they have, so um, the ants protected them with hanging ropes. So it's the rope that their aunt yeah. was hung with, <laughs> was twisted, but great. Um, I love that. You know, Maria was like, hey, this rope they hung me with, like, let's kind of keep this because I, you know, I made it out of this trap. So, um, so did she sneak
1: back up in the town or did she have it? I guess she had it on her. No,
0: well, she like had it well, on her right, neck right, and I think it was right, like deuces yeah. and I'm taking this rope with me because I need to make a fortress. Um, also, I love that she's like seven months pregnant and building a house on the island at the beginning of the movie. Separate conversation. Women can do anything. Um, but <laughs> Witchy <you> know, woman. <laughs> witch. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. Lots of ah. Uh, um, but like there's, you know, so you have now the presence of Gary Hallett. I will be very honest with you. I, so I love this movie through and through. The second Gary shows up, I I think some of the air goes out of the film. And I love Aiden Quinn, but I just hate this love story.
1: Aiden Quinn, I mean, yeah, I don't, here's the thing. I find Aiden Quinn's portrayal in this movie, and some of it's the writing, and some of it's his portrayal, is a little creepy, a little inappropriate, and definitely unprofessional.
0: <laughs> um... Okay.
1: So it's hard to get completely behind the love story portion of it.
0: No, and and I will say part of so the whole th- the thing here is is that so Sally at the beginning casts a spell when she's a young person because she doesn't want to fall in love because her mom died of a broken heart so she's like screw this. Um and so she creates this like spell for the this who her perfect guy is, and and then you know all of a sudden we find out slowly that Gary fits all these things. He has one green eye, one blue eye. He can ride a horse backwards. He can make flip pancakes in the air.
1: Oh, he's got the badge, right? The star. The star is, a... is his
0: favorite symbol. Um, he's marvelously kind. Yada yada yada. The problem is, is like he's inappropriate from jump. Now, do any of us blame him? Like a hundred percent? No. Mm. Like this is. Sandra Bullock is like this incredibly enchanting figure, but he shows up to the house because he suspects them already. Like, yeah, he's suspicious of something. And essentially what you find out is that Jimmy is wanted in a murder um, that he that Gary Hallett has been investigating. um, And then, you know, Jimmy disappears um, and he's able to trace it back to that. Um, They still have his car. Sally all of a sudden can't lie in front of him and then, like, is motivated to, like, you know, essentially she starts to realize they have a special connection because she doesn't feel like she can lie to him. And here's where I get frustrated with this turn is I think the importance of this film is the bond between her and her sister and her and her aunts and her and her daughters. So this feeling of, like, I can only be truthful to him, but I can lie to my aunts. Um, I, I, he fits all the things I had said I wanted in my perfect person. Uh, I guess I'm no longer mourning Michael. Um, (laughs) it just bothers me. It's a, it's, it's one of the things I just wish. And I honestly think if it was made now, I don't know if it would be in the movie. I don't know if they would have felt the need. I I actually agree
1: with you there. Yeah, Yeah, completely. I don't think it would have been necessary. I do, you know, in that whole, when he shows up, the couple of things I was like, Jillian seems a little too comfortable with lying to the police.
0: Um, no, Julian feels the right amount of lying to the police. She's like, I'm not going down for this. Jimmy sucked. So I'm completely fine with it. I do like the
1: uh Sally like line though that we get because of all this when Jillian asks her, like, is he cute or something? And she's like, uh, he's nice in a penal code sort of way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there are some really great lines, and this is where Sandra Bullock's comedic acting does definitely aid her in this movie. And I do like the montage
1: of the town. I find that a little amusing of him interviewing the town and you're finding out like how they all feel about <laughs> it's it. It's like very Blair Witch <laughs> project. <laughs> like
0: And and it is, it's funny because and you get like you get the great. Uh, Margot Martindale who is one of who's oh yeah yeah no, like she's an inc- yeah she's an incredible incredible like iconic like that that actress kind of person but I like that we you also get- her
1: other uh, co-worker was played by Chloe Webb who played Nancy in the City of Nancy yeah,
0: movie, see, so. yeah yeah. so it's just like and, and I think like that stuff's fun because it also it emphasizes the foam tree situation of like she's an outsider in like a way because they're all like scared of her and it's like their othering of her is generationally built like it's not about any of them really disliking her because I don't think they could find a name for their dislike they just know they're supposed to hate her and I think that's like a really important thing to have present in this because like it also speaks to like you know like the history of like you know the witch trials like in the United States like I think that works well here but also just like any kind of othering or that outsider ship that's created where small communities oftentimes like band together in their unity and oftentimes that unity is keeping someone else othered and like that's really present in this you get the sense they're tight-knit but only tight knit around the fact that they don't like the owens women yeah and they don't exactly know why so it's like a really but i I think what we
1: find out in this you know in in the major scene that's coming here is i don't know if it's just it's it's more of a they don't dislike them because they're jealous Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's that that thing of I don't know, I don't understand you, but there's just something about you yeah. that I, I, I can't have that it's not mine and that I'm jealous of. And and that turns into bitterness as opposed to camaraderie.
0: No, exactly. And then this leads to a possession which, what, what great romantic drama doesn't have some possession? If we're all being honest with you. Right, it's as a, we're
1: talking about this movie, it just makes me think, get more mad that it was, because it's so unnecessary to the
0: movie, like. The possession? No, the love story. Oh, yeah, the love no, story. No, the possession's, is, definitely. possession's dope. But like, uh, you know, possession's a great metaphor for love, wouldn't we say? Right. <laughs> In a twisted, spooky sense. But I, Family love, familiar love, right? <laughs> 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 Who of us have
1: not had somebody, you know, that we love so much that feels like, you don't seem like yourself but I'm gonna still love you and get you through
0: this (laughs) but like so you do get this great what you realize is that like you know Jimmy's like malevolent spirit via the spell that they cast to bring him back to life and then murdered him again um you know, he has possessed Jillian. Um, there's I think a lot done there with like, and again, if you wanted to see Jillian's story as an allegory for, you know, domestic abuse and domestic violence, like, I think there would be like rich things to look at there. I think what's also being worked through here is like, you know, Jillian wanted to be kind of taken over by love. And I think her intention for that is like shown in like the worst kind of ways, because, What she wasn't looking for was partnership. She was looking for a kind of love that would consume her. And that's what happens. Sally was looking for a kind of love that was impossible. And I almost think is that maybe a justification of why the sheriff or sorry, not the sheriff, the detective being her partner feels like so like kind of odd and strange and tacked on because that's kind of what she's like. She was looking for something to be delivered to her. But like Mm. the possession of Jillian is twisted. Yeah. It's sickening. Like it's really violent. The Her nieces see it and have to witness, like, that kind of violence. Um, And then essentially what you have is, like, Sally realizing the only way they're going to be able to do this is, like, if she brings forth the women of the town to band together. And what you find is not only... PTA is a coven. PTA is a (laughs) coven. Guys, this is the How Could You podcast with some behind-the-scenes guerrilla-style reporting. All PTAs are actually witches' (laughs) coven. Okay, back to our episode. Um... But like I think like what you have there is like this idea of like that ki- that kind of that sense of like female community or some sort of coalition amongst women, like in the face of this, of violence is something that should be celebrated and supported. I don't think it always happens. Um, I think we always desire for it to happen, but I think like this is a moment where it does. And when they arrive at the house, they're not only like willing, they're giddy. Um, Even the cruelest among the mothers, it it says like, you know, I've wanted to see the inside of your house Mm -hmm. since I was a little girl. And it's like, man, you must've been, really fascinated by this person that you just chose to hate and like and I think what an interesting lesson there of like how thin that line can be yeah how thin that membrane is between hate and fascination but also it's like so terrifying too because you realize now, like you know by the end of the film they've chosen something different but you know they create this coven and circle and They all decide to do witchcraft together.
1: I would have kicked the lady out that showed up with the dust buster. Come on.
0: Like, actually ridiculous. Nobody
1: needs your jokes, lady. Yeah.
0: Like, (laughs) Like, guess what? It's not cute. This woman's possessed. (laughs) Brenda, go off. Like, it's just, it was so, it is, and it's, and I know it's so played for last. I'm like, come on, you have a broom.
1: That it's a nice, you know, it's a nice blend that, that Griffin Dunn does there of this really kind of, like, you know, coming together moment. It's, it's light. It's, it's fun. But at the same token, we're moving into like the serious climax of the film. Like it's a, it's a really nice juxtaposition very quickly.
0: Well, and then you have like, when they're in the circle, like they're doing the, the chant and you get the one woman who's just like, are we supposed to say this? And I'm like, there's always that one person in the group that doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) And that's her. Like, I'm like, yes, you are. Do you not see them chanting in unison? Yes, you're (laughs) supposed to. Um, But it's interesting because the chanting gets violent. Um, There's almost like, and I wonder if that's supposed to be like a playoff of like, they're all a little too excited to do this and not understanding. And it's ultimately like Sally and Jillian's like sibling bond and love. That is the thing that frees them. It's the repetition of that. You know, blood oath that Ryan has apparently never done um, with anyone. You know that that is inactive Check back next episode. We'll
1: yeah. see. Maybe I can change I, that. I
0: actually want now a weekly update, <laughs> right. like a uh, uh, yes or no. Yeah. Have you done a blood oath <laughs> since we last recorded?
1: Please uh, direct message us on Instagram <laughs> if you'd
0: like to have a blood um, oath. Actually, like, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have, like, it, this great thing where it's like you realize it's about, like, that sisterly bond. And then something is repaired through that, like, because you have a shot of Maria seemingly being freed. You, you are to think that the curse has been lifted. Because, like, the real, like, you know, kind of the real magic was, like, their bonds and their sisterhood was the thing that would, like, release them from all this pain. Which, again, like, I think, like, further emphasizes why you don't need that love story of Detective Hallett coming back, um, you know, to be Sally's partner. Because I think it's, like, well, no, that kind of, unfortunately, what it does, I think it, like, undoes the message of, like, no, it was really them that would be able to, not that they don't deserve partners, but, like, that the that is really the core of this is like that bond. Um, but I do like, I do like the, you know, Margaret Mandel <laughs> going, all right, ladies, let's clean house. It's yeah. so camp, but yeah. it's so great. Oh, no, no.
1: I think a different actress doing it, it doesn't work. But, it would have been so annoying. She just, yeah, she's just so great. Great so grapple. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, and then you have, like, so the kind of, the, so the closing of the film is, you know, Detective Hallett eventually comes back. Boo. <laughs> um, you know, Sally asks Jillian, like, what would you do? And she was like, well, what would I do for love? Like, you know, and you get the sense that Jillian still wants that and and there's probably an ache that comes with that. But now with the curse broken, hopefully it's like...
1: Well, she can find it. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Um
0: And then you have on Halloween night, they're going to all jump off the house. And people are gonna watch. <laughs> Happy ending.
1: I, so I, I, here's the thing. I'm gonna say this because I actually really enjoy the final scene. Um, I think it, the way that it's you know it's something we you talked earlier about with the driving and the background scenery and like some of the thing. I I was trying to figure out at times is is some of the background in bad or intentionally mystical? I think Um, it's supposed to be intentionally mystical. Yeah, okay. Um, But this scene I actually really like this scene, but I do have to ask why does everyone now love them? Like, it's just like (laughs) Um, like the town (laughs) like (laughs) Men, bad.
0: Uh, Right. Women's (laughs) good. (laughs) Um, They find
1: out they're actual witches, they float off the house, and I'm pretty sure they now know that they murdered someone, and they're just like,
0: all right, you're cool. But can I tell you, like, but the thing they said they all hated about them was that they were witches, but now they're super confirmed witches and now you like it. <laughs> right. No, they're all like hot for them. That's all that's going on here. They don't but, know what to do with it. It's a Puritan town, man. They're visually, freaked though, out.
1: I do I do really like this scene. I think it's I a cool too. way to end it. Do I think you? it's
0: really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, And I like that it's all of them doing it together and I think it's sweet. I like that it's like the town just come together. Um, that
1: house that uh, Barbara Strassian thought it was a real house and tried to buy. <laughs>
0: Actually, one of the great stories <laughs> yes. of this.
1: So this, this house um, was built, like, just the framework of it, yes. you know, essentially. They couldn't actually, so they created it for the movie. It was torn down right after. But, yeah, Barbara Streisand had loved it so much, she called uh, the, the distributor and wanted to buy the house after she saw this movie.
0: I will be very honest. It is if I was making a top five film houses that I'd want to live in, I think it would sit at number two.
1: You and Barbra You yeah. could live there together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: no, I don't want to live Barbra Streisand, but nothing, nothing against her. I just like my space. I was like, oh um, shots fired at Barbara Streisand. I would want to like, neighbors. Neighbors? Uh, yeah, I
1: gotcha. Yeah. Like, I don't
0: know if I can, I, like, I, I don't know if I'm a great roommate. I'm, uh, I Laurenzilla every morning. I throw stuff all over the place. I like my snacks myself. I don't know if I'm a great roommate. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara is like, I wasn't going to call, Lauren. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> um, but, you know, so this is, we referenced this earlier. Well, actually, I'll ask you this. Do you like this movie as much as I like this movie? Please tell me you love this movie.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to like this movie as much as you like it's this movie. It's impossible for you to love it this movie. It's impossible question. for me that you know, and plus there's just such, you know, we talk. Endlessly about nostalgia, and this—you have an, 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 a nostalgia vibe to it that I'll oh. never catch up to. Um,
0: I mean, I saw it in theaters, and then I have watched it at least once or twice a year every year since. Yeah.
1: So, and I've seen it now twice.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, so I, but I will say, I—I I genuinely, really, you—you you mm. wanted to do this episode, yes. um, obviously, you know. Wanted to do this with you because it's something that's important to you. But I really just loved sitting back and watching it. I think it's a very enjoyable movie. Um, And I really like I said, the, the biggest thing I take from it is the chemistry of these actors, actresses and how good it is. And I think it's just a really enjoyable October film.
0: Thank you. I'm glad you delight with it. And everyone, please be on the lookout for my Midnight Margarita. They'll be coming on uh, the podcast Instagram. So before we get to the question that I often hate that we do on this episode, I do want to reference the fact, so these are based on books by Alice Hoffman. Um, so uh, the, the book's really different if you don't know this, um, if you've not read the series. Um, so the first book is Practical Magic, um, but this is very, very different Um First, um, Sally lives in New York City, um, not with her aunts. Um, so essentially, what happens is is that, like, so Sally, like, the setup of it is similar insofar as, like, Sally loses her husband. Um, but at that time, her husband and her two children were living with the aunts. But the aunts are not as playful in the book. In fact, like, Sally and Jillian grow up thinking that they're burdens to the aunts and that the aunts don't want them around. Um, Jillian leaves for the same reason. Sally's looking for something normal. Jillian's not. So when Michael is killed by the Death Watch Beetle, uh, Sally moves to New York City. Um, and that's where the rest of the events of the of the book play out. It's so different. So, um, and also, also, Sally does not participate in the murder of Jimmy in um, in the, in the book version or the original text um so Jillian has killed Jimmy um because he was abusive um Jimmy is wanted uh, for the as a suspect in the murder of three college students and a drug deal that went wrong where he sold them poison under the <laughs> guise of that he was selling them drugs um and then I, he hits... I believe it's that he hits Jillian. And then so Jillian, out of self-defense, murders him. Um, then goes to Sally because she doesn't know what to do. Um, and then that part of it is pretty similar with the detective Hallett coming in. The ants eventually come to the city to help them. Um, and then what they find out is that the ants really loved them all along. And then they end up sending uh, Thanksgiving together. And that's how the book ends. All right. <laughs> so, like, the Jimmy thing this Jimmy's is haunting them. They have to get rid of the haunting. The ants help Uh, detective Hallett's uh, like still falls in love with Sally and they still get together by the end of the book. Um, But this is all framed a lot differently. Like there's more time since Michael has died because Antonia and Kylie are 13 and 16. uh, When they like, when Jillian comes back, Jillian's Jillian's been gone for a while. The husband's been dead for a little while. Um, So it's just, it's a very, very different version, but it ends with them all having Thanksgiving dinner together.
1: So not a Halloween movie. No, not a so Halloween movie. It's a Thanksgiving book. <laughs> um, the other
0: in the series, so Rules of Magic is a prequel about the Owens family. It sets up the story of how, like, Jet and Fanny, like, come to live in the house. Um, there's Magic Lesson, which is the origin story of Maria Owens. And then the most recent is called Book of Magic. And it takes the stories of Maria, Jet, um... Or no, it's I think it's it's Maria. No, it is it's Maria, Jet, and Kylie. So the eldest daughter of Sally across generations. It's like they try and save their spouses from dying, and like we know how it ends up for obviously Maria and Jet, but we don't know how it ends up for Kylie. Um, because I think the assumption is that the Death Watch beetle curse is not broken in the original Mm. book. Um, So I think... I like my happy
1: ending at the end I
0: like 100% too. So here's the thing. I've actually, of all of them, I've only actually ever read Rules of Magic and I loved it um, because it was an origin story. But the tone of it is darker and it's also set in New York City so I was like really miffed at first because I was like why isn't it set in Massachusetts and then I found out I'm like oh well the original book isn't in Massachusetts it's only in Massachusetts for a small part of the book and then or not a small part but like not not like how it is obviously in this so I'll ask you Tassie Sequel, pre- prequel, remake, reboot. Does this movie, Practical Magic, 1998 classic, directed by Griffin Dunn, otherwise known as Uncle Nicky from This Is Us, <laughs> does it need any of these? Um, need
1: is always that sure. word. You know, I, listen, you're not going to agree with me here. I think this film could fall under any of these. Um, I think you could remake this very easily today and update it. Um And I think you could get a cast and and have it really make a great film from it. Um, I would personally like to see a sequel. Okay. Um, And I would do as Kylie and Antonia, or is it Antonia? Antonia. And do Evan Rachel Wood and uh, maybe get, like, Emma Roberts.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. What? Are you going to say they're, like looking for love and that their lovers are Bill Hader and Bill Schwartz. Not- oh no, I saw that! I really thought that's where this was going. I was like, don't you do it! Don't you do it! I don't know what you think
1: of me. Why would I? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I, uh, it's a great idea, actually. Let's go with that. Um, But no, I think a sequel to them would be, yeah. be kind of cool. I would have also argued that maybe a prequel could be done, but my understanding is HBO Max at some point has signed on to do that. Now, I know that was prior to HBO Max dropping. I've not heard any updates on that since, so I don't know if that's still in the works or
0: not. Last time I saw I was still in the works, it's going to be based off of the book Rules of Magic. so it's gonna Which will be on the
1: ants, right? Yeah, so
0: it's going to be about the ants when mm-hmm. they're younger. Um, Which, honestly, that story is actually pretty great. Uh, also yeah. twisted, Um, uh, but it's pretty great. So I'm I'd not, you know, that.
1: prequels. I'm more, you know, like I said, I like my idea better. No, now like now great. with yours better. You know, well,
0: and also I like, because I think Evan Rachel Wood would do a really great job with that. I think it'd yeah. be cool also to see how that, like, sisterly bond like how it changes over time, it could be really cool to see. I am like, so excited we did this. I hope people enjoyed this. I hope you also, in this spooky season, find practical magic to be a required text like I do. Um, if you are not currently following us on social media, please follow us at How Could You Podcast on Instagram, at How Could You Pod on X, at How Could You Podcast on Facebook. You can always send emails and suggestions to us at How Could You Podcast at gmail.com. Be on the lookout for my special midnight margarita recipe, which was so fun to make, um, and all the things we have coming up soon. And until next
1: time, enjoy the Odyssey.